0: Phantoms and Monsters personal reports where I narrate some of the more recent past cryptid and unexplained sightings and encounters submitted to Phantoms and Monsters. And uh, like tonight, I'm going to also detail some current past investigations. So thanks for joining me. Um, uh, the Phantoms and Monsters radio channel is made possible by you clicking the subscribe button by you sharing our programming super chat and super thanks donations are always appreciated as well you can uh click the buy me a coffee link and banner which are shown below so uh, thanks for your consideration now i've had some uh some people ask me about reading some of the things i've actually written about in the books uh, some of the cases and such, so I figured tonight we'd start off with that. So I'm going to be re- actually reading from the book with this first this first incident. But uh, I've had a lot of questions about this from people who have read the book, and uh, I figured you know for those who are not familiar with it, I'll just go ahead and read. I I, I will say this: it's it's it wasn't something I was I was involved with for very long. Uh, just a matter of days actually, but, uh, it, it's profound and it's something that really affected me. Uh, you know, abduction and alien contact experience reports can quickly trigger skepticism, uh, with an investigator, especially if the information is received by telephone or in person, the demeanor of the individual is usually full of fear, confusion, and uncontrolled emotion. It's important to listen and avoid making instant judgments based on the first interaction. But sometimes you will receive a call in which you know that something remarkable occurred in a person's life and that you are now about to become part of their story. So uh, in, in July, 2009, I received that call. A young woman named Mandy stated that her life had become a living hell and that she could no longer leave the house in the evening. I'm literally afraid of the dark and under siege in my own home at night, that's what she told me. Mandy was living in a farmhouse outside a small town in East Central Washington, less than a mile from the Idaho border. About two weeks prior to contacting me, her and her mother had noticed bright red and white lights hovering above the Coeur d'Alene Mountains. As they watched the lights, Mandy began to feel dizzy and fearful. That night, she had a horrific nightmare that involved constant flashing lights and loud mechanical noises. The next morning, she woke feeling nauseous and lightheaded. Mandy was a schoolteacher, but had to call in sick. Now, by the next day, Mandy began to feel better but the lights of the mountains continued on for several nights. She no longer had any dreams, but she still had the sense of fear to linger with her. Her mother thought that Mandy was simply overreacting to the sighting of the lights. Then a few nights later, Mandy and her mother were in the kitchen cleaning up after a late dinner. They began to hear popping sounds coming from the backyard. As they looked out the window, they both noticed Hundreds of small red and white lights flying in all directions. Each time a pair of lights collided, there was a distinct popping sound. Mandy ran into the living room and looked out the window. There were red and white lights everywhere by the road and in the field. Her mother picked up the telephone in order to call the police, but there was no dial tone. By that time, the lights in the house began to flicker. There were also strange sounds coming from the roof, similar to scratching. This continued for about five minutes, then suddenly stopped. They were both confused and scared. The phone was now working, but her mother thought there was no reason to call the police. Now Manny walked outside to see if there was any indication of what had just occurred. Everything seemed fine, but there was a slight odor in the air. She told me that it reminded her of burnt motor oil, but she couldn't find a source. She eventually went back into the house, but still bewildered by what had happened. The next night, at approximately 10.30 p.m., Mandy was getting ready for bed. While standing in front of her bathroom mirror, she noticed two loud thuds on the roof. She went into her mother's room to see if she had heard the sounds, but she was already in bed asleep. While walking in the upstairs hallway towards her room, she heard several more thuds on the roof, as well as scampering sounds in the attic. She looked out her bedroom window and once again witnessed hundreds of small red and white lights flying all about in in different directions. The noises in the attic had wakened her mother. They both yelled for each other as all the electricity in the house cut off. They ran into Mandy's room and sat nervously on the bed. The thugs on the roof and the scampering in the attic continued. They lit a few candles, hoping the activity would soon end. They felt like prisoners in their own home, worried about what would happen next. Then suddenly the lights came back on and the noises stopped. Mandy later told me that the commotion went on for at least an hour. Neither of them got much sleep that night. A few days later, Mandy contacted me by telephone. I was referred to her by a paranormal investigator in Spokane. As soon as I began talking to Mandy and her mother, I sensed that this was not any run-of-the-mill unexplained encounter. They had once again experienced similar activity the previous night. Amanda commented that she felt like they were both in danger and asked if I had ever heard of a similar experience. I was understandably dumbfounded by the series of events, but at the same time, I was concerned that the activity may eventually lead to physical intervention, but I didn't mention it to her. Uh, I believe that we talked for about three hours. There was nothing exceptional about Mandy and her mother. They had lived together in in the family home since Mandy was born. There was no information offered about Mandy's father, so I didn't press the issue. Her mother had recently retired from her position as a state worker. I asked them to keep a journal on the activity and to contact me. This is my normal routine when working cases. Now, during the interview, Mandy asked, why is this happening to us? I didn't want to tell her that they may have been singled out, but I really did sense that this may have been the case. Little did I know it would be my last contact with Mandy. After I got off the telephone with Mandy and her mother, I started to examine several incident data Several instant databases in an attempt to find any similar events. Continued activity to the same witnesses over a period of time is somewhat unusual, and I was concerned that there may eventually be an escalation. The next day, I expected to receive a follow-up phone call from Mandy. In fact, I called and left a message asking that she let me know if there had been any further activity. I waited for three days. And no telephone call or email came I went. Then on a Sunday afternoon, the anticipated call came. It was Mandy's mother. She apologized for not getting back to me. But there was an obvious distress in her voice. After a brief pause, she called me, said, Mandy is missing. I got a sudden sick feeling in my stomach. Mandy had gone to bed not long after we had talked on the telephone. Her mother remained downstairs in the living room watching television. At about 11 p.m., she decided to go to her bedroom. As she passed Mandy's bedroom, she noticed the light coming from the bottom of the door. She knocked on the door in order to check on her. There was no response. As she opened the door, the room went completely dark. She flicked on the light switch by the door and observed that Mandy was not in her bed. She called out to her and there was no response. Panic was beginning to set in as she literally screamed Mandy while running throughout the house. There was no trace of her, inside or out. Mandy was gone. The local authorities had no explanation. All of Mandy's personal items, including her car, remained. It was as if she simply vanished. Since Mandy was an adult, there wasn't really much the police investigators could do. They suspected that she took off with somebody during the night. I asked her mother to keep me updated, but I never really expected to hear back from her. As far as I know, Mandy has never returned home. The last time I made an inquiry with the Washington State Police, her case remains unsolved. Mandy's disappearance still haunts me. I am certain that she was abducted by an unknown force, but that doesn't absolve me from feeling a bit of guilt. I realize that my regret seems ridiculous since there was nothing that I could have done. Nonetheless, I suspect that the stigma of her ordeal will always remain with me. And uh, you know, now it's been it's been 13 years now for, since that occurred. And I have checked several times uh, since I wrote that. I have checked with the state police, Washington State Police, and there's no trace. There, uh, she's none of her credit cards or anything or anything like that has come up. No trace of her, no contact with anybody. Uh, her mother has passed since then. Um. So, and I and I know what happened to Mandy Roy really hastened her demise. I'm I, I'm I'm sure of it because she was pretty broke up. So this is. Um, I'll be honest, this is probably one of the the uh, the cases that really did, you know, really did kind of almost get me to quit doing what I do. Uh, Lon, when did you say the the Mandy case happened? That was in July 2000, 2009. I. um, And I I have, like I said, again, I had checked this. I have kept it up kept up with it uh, you know again there's I wish there's something I could have done I, I'm kind of glad that I, I didn't mention that I felt something may happen or may escalate but uh, it, it's one of those things I mean you know um, you do get a case every once in a while even though it was as briefly as I was involved with this one uh, that just really that's just really shaky to your core. And this was one of them. So if you have any more questions uh, later on, we'll go ahead and, and go through that then. Uh, the, the next one is, uh, is one I received not too long ago, where a woman describes in detail her encounter with a giant, chalk white humanoid while at a Florida highway rest area. Uh, she showed empathy towards the being, even though she was shocked by it. Now she writes in the spring of 2007, my, my then boyfriend and I were on our way from New York down to Miami to go to a music festival. We were driving South on the highway along the East coast to central Florida. When we um, pulled into a rest area, so that we could catch a nap. We had been driving all day when he decided that he desperately needed a short rest before getting back behind the wheel. Now, we had very recently bought the man and he did not think that I could handle maneuvering. So uh, he was doing all the driving. Uh, we parked and jumped into the back of the man and laid down on a futon mattress that we had laid there. <clears throat> he told me to leave him alone and he proceeded to pass out from exhaustion. I was pretty freaked out because the rest area building was unmanned, locked up and dark inside. The restrooms were closed. A small rest area building was surrounded by dark woods. There were about four of the cars in the small parking lot, but no sign of any drivers. So I imagine they were having an emergency lay down as well. Now normally, I, I would never have set foot outside of the van alone in such a scenario. My instincts told me not to get out of the van, but I had taken some off for menstrual cramps and I had it, they had given me my, my brutal nausea. I needed some pretzels and mustered up all my courage and opened up the passenger side door and squeezed through the space between our vehicle and the vehicle parked directly next to ours. Now, as soon as I had a clear line of sight to the front of the rest area building, I saw the thing. I saw it, clearly. Straight ahead, I saw the brightly lit front facade of the rest stop. To the left of the doors was it. To the right of the doors was a vending machine. So immediately, it it communicated with me. I was flooded with what I consider a telepathic message from the being. I cannot be seen, I cannot be seen. I must travel by night and exist in darkness. I cannot be seen, I cannot be seen. And I felt an enormous wave of compassion for the being rather than fear, which may seem a little more logical reaction to someone hearing this story. Now, for some reason, my brain only characterized it as one thing initially, an outsider worthy of compassion and tolerance now it's skin was pure chalk white not the skin tone white but the color white its eyes were several times larger than ours it had two little air holes for a nose and a very thin mouth its frame was completely concealed by its enormous long black hooded robe it looked as though it was quite gaunt underneath pretty feral look excuse me pretty frail looking It was sitting on its bottom knees, on its bottom, knees bent back against the brick front of the rest area to the left of the front doors of the rest area. It was sitting with its back straight, tall and erect. It seemed in awe of me, or maybe in awe that I was actually approaching it. It looked vaguely like a human, very vaguely. Its face was snake like Its eyes were right on me. Threw a little everyday smile in its direction, and it did. Some, I did something strange. I continued to walk toward the rest area, even though, even after seeing it, I walked towards the rest area building closer to it. I walked forward about twenty foot from the rear of the van to the rest area steps, up the twenty steps or so, and to the right, where the vending machine was located. My thoughts at this point were very bizarre. In retrospect. I felt bad for the thing. I didn't want to feel different. Uh, I know that sounds hilariously quaint if you're indeed talking about an interdimensional being. But I didn't want to run back into the van because I didn't want to hurt its feelings. I didn't want to make it feel like a freak. It already told me that it could not be seen due to the way people would react. So I wanted to know... That I didn't judge it for the way it looked, and that I was willing to come to terms with its horrific appearance in order to extend some humanity to it. So it was that that very bizarrely strong conviction to be righteous and humane to it that I walked towards the vending machine. I actually got pretzels. I'm telling you, my stomach was churning. I used the vending machine with my back. I, I used the vending machine with my back to it. Pretzels in hand, I swiveled around to look at it again before descending back down the steps. It was at that moment that I, that pure terror rippled, rippled through me. I was closer to it now, approximately 15 foot away. And I could see now that there was definitely no way that it was human. It was staring right at me with the wide-eyed, like a wide-eyed insect. It was still in exactly the same position, except that it had turned its head to look at me better With as my position changed. <clears throat> it looked like an alien. It looked like a demon. It was not human. It's huge, one dimensional eyes did not have any whites. They were almond shaped like the classic alien eye that we all know. It was then that Rill's lie that this was extremely tall, unthinkably tall although i was standing and it was sitting its head was still taller than mine its huge eyes were fixed on me totally the fascination alarm and with the most intense focus <clears throat> just like the way my cat looks at something right before she pounces on it when i had to make the decision to climb the stairs towards it and not to retreat to the van i thought that it was sitting on top of something and that was when that is why its head raised up so high. Now from closer perspective, I could see that it was not sitting on anything but on its butt. If I had realized that this was that excuse me, if I had realized that uh, it was this tall and I very well not have gone up the steps. So after the ripple of terror went through me, I responded by smelling the way you smile at a stranger when your eyes catch catch on catch him on the bus a shot at a casual thin innocuous little hey how you doing smell why and how <clears throat> I acted as if things were totally normal I can't explain I've never acted so cool in my life if I were to guess what the thing was doing when I was when I encountered it judging by its body language I would say that it was somewhat displaced and resting But I have no clue. Maybe it was just in the middle of something far more sinister. It did not look like a mutant or an experiment. It looked ancient, timeless and placeless, graceful and horrible. It was also firmly in this dimension when I saw it. It was not a hazy vision in the slightest. The lighting was not dim. It was it was not even remotely ethereal experience extremely bright lights that illuminated the front facade of the rest area building concealed every contour of this entity it only had been closer, i would have provided much more detail about the facial features as i was walking back to the van i quickly strategized about how to make sure that my fear did not paralyze me and prohibit me from getting safely in into the car i decided not to look back or even around me as i turned the key because if I saw that it had moved, or I saw it coming towards me, I would have been too terrified to manage with the car keys. I got in the van, I locked the door, I screamed that we need to leave immediately, and we did. And as we drove away, about ninety seconds after it was last in my sight, I looked out the window and saw that it was gone. There was nothing where I had. It, it, there was nothing where I had been, just brick wall and concrete floor. I began to tell my boyfriend that i just had the ultimate experience and although he he was a dude who was always going on about vitas and madame blavatsky and whatnot for some reason his only response was a trite war in florida what do you expect he was extremely abusive person so i decided to leave it at that and not attempt to share any more with him now as far as the height of the entity at first i thought that it was about nine to ten foot tall now that i'm drawing a diagram i realize that it was likely significantly taller as i said its head stood taller than mine even though i was standing and it was sitting i'm five four that means it was approximately six feet tall from its butt to the top of its head from its butt to its knees it may have been four to five foot and from its knees to feet three feet but that means that it was about 14 feet tall I can hardly map wrap my head around that so uh, that was quite an interesting and very descriptive uh, you don't get them that descriptive too often James asked did it have an eye color no I think it was it was black From what I read from her, I think she would have uh, definitely mentioned it. Uh, you just never know what James, you just never know what direction these cases will turn. That's true. Now, going back to the, the Mandy uh, case I re- read about ass. why do you think Mandy was taken? You know, I don't know. You know, I never got any indication as to Why? But to be honest with you, these cases where people are abducted, we never really know why it happens. You know, unless they come back and and describe their, uh, you know, what happened to them, very rarely do we uh, ever get an idea of what, why it happened. You know, some people just don't come back. It has happened. Uh, Maybe not as dramatic as this, but we hear about it all the time. Um, You know, I don't know what the the statistics are, though I've perused a few of them. There's a lot of people that go missing for whatever reason worldwide. Are some of these alien abductions or something to do with supernatural paranormal? I believe so. Yeah, I believe so so um uh, yeah I, I don't know why it, it happened i you know you know i am intuitive but i just never really got a feel as to why it did happen okay i'm just looking over a few things real here okay <laughs> i don't want to get lost okay this now this is a case the next one is a case that butch and i worked on and in fact butch did go to the uh the witness whose name was john flower john feathers excuse me uh and he did talk to him and, and the other witness about this so it is documented and uh it has to do with the uh, upright canines dogman phenomena here in pennsylvania so uh but uh, he did john did reach out to me initially and I, uh, it occurred on September 3rd, I mean, excuse me, I received it on September 3rd of 2015. So this was almost um, two years after, you know, after this had happened. So, uh, and from talking to him by phone, he was pretty reluctant about making uh Making a report, but uh, eventually he did. He opened up and then they were able to talk to Butch in person. But Butch did go to the location. So he writes I am currently a resident of Altoona, Pennsylvania. I am writing this to report a strange encounter I experienced with a friend of mine in the early morning hours of Sunday, March 17, 2013. The incident is now over two years old. I chose not to report this event prior to now due to an unwillingness to expose myself or my family and friends to public scrutiny. In light of the recent spat of similar sightings in central Pennsylvania, I I have changed my mind. Perhaps our experience will help with the current research. As such, I would like to make my intention clear that myself and any persons mentioned please retain anonymity at this time. And they later came out and were able to identify them which they approved. Reporting a Bigfoot or even a UFO sighting is one thing, but this was somewhat different. Now, on the evening of question, in question, a friend and I were returning from a job that I had performed in Williamsburg, Williamsburg Pennsylvania. Uh, they had a band actually, and they were when the gig was over. They were driving back. My friend was driving, to the best of my recollection. The incident occurred somewhere between 1.30 a.m. and 2.00 a.m. on the morning of March 17th. We were traveling southwest on Route 22 through what is locally known as Geezy Town, it's a rural suburb of Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, as we rounded a little curve in the road, our attention was drawn to the left on the opposite side of the road, standing and squatting in a clear clearing a few feet off the side of the road, some kind of creature my friend wasn't driving very fast and slowed a bit as we approached now our initial view of it was from its dorsal side as it was facing away from us it came into profile as we passed with its right side to us it struck me immediately that the creature had a combination of both human and canine features it was squatting down on its legs close to the ground but was doing so in a bipedal fashion. The legs had the stifled joint and hock characteristic of a canine, not like a human leg. It had its front limbs arms in front of it and I be- believe it was possibly crossed over something, maybe a smaller animal. The arms are long in proportion to its body and I recall thinking the hands were more human light as opposed to paws. Its torso seemed to be somewhat hunched forward I had the impression that any moment it could have gone on all fours quite comfortably. The creature's, the creatures chest was not broad like a human's, but had a pronounced, forward-angled breastbone, like a canid. It gave an impression of great strength, having distinct and well-defined musculature, but was not built on a massive frame. It seemed more thin and sinewy. If it had stood fully direct. Erect, I would estimate that the creature would have been close to seven foot tall. It was covered in fur that was gray silver in color. The creature seemed unnaturally shiny, although this could have been a reflection from the headlights on the moon. It had pointy erect canine ears that were somewhat laid back on its head. The head was large and very wolf-like in overall appearance. The muzzle was also very wolf-like, tainted, although the the snout wasn't exceptionally elongated. It had canine-like teeth. To the best of my recollection, the eyes were amber color, but may have been a reddish glow reflection to them. It had a wolf-like tail. It turned its head to watch us and track us as we passed. It seemed quite aware of our presence. Now, my friend and I continued in stunned silence for a few moments. When the creature was no longer in view, I turned and asked my friend what we had just seen. He said he said we just saw a friggin' wolf. Were exact words. I agree that this is pretty much my own assessment. I asked if we could turn the car around, but he absolutely refused to do so. We spent the rest of the trip debating on whether it could have been a dog or someone's escaped pet wolf. But to be honest, it, it just wasn't. I'm sure. I'm sure that both my friend and I are experienced outdoorsmen and neither one of us have ever seen anything fitting that description before. I was actually raised not far from the area and know it well. I have spoken to my friend about this and neither one of us would be willing to take a polygraph uh, concerning this incident. Please feel free to contact me uh, if you have any questions. Now, you know, at the op- at that time, I had the opportunity to talk to both witnesses. Each mentioned an, an interesting point, which Butch and I found pretty interesting as well, is that this creature had like a silvery aura around it. It, it, was, it was a unique detail. And I'll be honest, I don't think we've ever received anything similar to that before. Uh, this kind of raised my hackles a bit. And so suggesting that this may have been supernatural. Now, you know Butch and I were both familiar with the uh, Lenny Lenape folklore concerning concerning these Canids, uh, these dogmen, or whatever you want to call them. Uh, we did we did consult a shaman or elder who was actually but it was actually a, a Cherokee shaman or elder, and. Uh, you know, we did look into more of the Lenape traditions for possibly linking this being. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we got much information or not. I don't really think we did. <clears throat> but quite frankly, these cases that we have received since Butch and I started looking into this uh, really did concentrate me in, in central Pennsylvania for the most part. You know, we we used that term, the uh, Lichen Loop. Certain counties uh, have 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 had decent activity. Uh, That was Blair County, Center County. We had one in Juniata, Cambria County, Clearfield. Yeah, those areas had an exceptional amount of activity, uh, which is unusual because um, we're not getting as much in those areas as as before we're getting more now in the eastern part of the state in fact i talked to a newspaper reporter today about the activity in and around the pocono area in northeast pennsylvania and uh, <clears throat> yeah those those are hot areas so um you know we'll have to see what else comes up but of course we're still looking into this one case and we will be having the witness to the berks county case um coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Uh, Tim Renner and uh, Chad Redding are going to be with me on that show as well from our team. So they have talked to the individual. So that should be interesting. <clears throat> this this gentleman name is Matt. He, he's, I tell you, after he had his encounter, he has really gone deeply into all this. I gotta give him credit he's he's really done a lot of research so it should be a very interesting show i don't know do we have any more questions on that i guess not well yeah the, the show we can cover everything well speaking of cases this was a uh this was a winged humanoid encounter, abduction uh, from Indiana. It was, um, you know, we, we put it as part of the um, the sightings in and around the Chicago area. We had been collecting data and, and sightings within a 250-mile 200, radius of Chicago, and this fit in there. And be honest, we honestly and quite frank with you, we ha- we have had cases reported to us from Indiana. Uh, Indiana, for whatever reason, there's a lot of phenomena that happens in Indiana, and uh, it's pretty weird for the most part. But anyway, let me read this. Um, <clears throat> I received a phone call describing a harrowing account from the eyewitness F. H. Though his name is floyd so i'll just go you know he he's going ahead and allowed us to use his name um the incident occurred on the night of uh, october 27th 1969 in rolling prairie indiana and uh lloyd was a young child at the time he states that he and his family mother father sister and grandmother were living in a trailer situated on their family's land the trailer had sustained damage on the roof leaving a large hole. Now the hole was covered with a wide waterproof tarp until it was to be repaired. Now he and his baby sister shared a bedroom. He was awakened by a strange noise and a strong disagreeable odor. As he looked towards his sister's crib he saw a tall winged humanoid staring down at her. The being slowly turned and looked at the horrified witness. The description was a very tall being that was crouched a bit. He estimates that it stood seven to eight foot in height. The body and face had black hair. The leather-like wings were huge and shaped like that of a bat or gargoyle. It had muscular detached arms and legs. The body and face were thin and looked like a human skeleton and obvious sharp teeth. The eyes were dark and also made it also made a low garbled sound. He screamed in order to alert his parents in the adjoining room, but they never responded. His grandmother was alerted and came to his aid, though she was stunned at the sight and immediately fell to her knees. The creature picked him up in his arms and made its way into the living room where it ascended through the hole in the ceiling. It's obvious that it had moved the tarp in order to gain access inside the trailer. He remembers being very cold and wet and hearing his grandmother screaming as the winged humanoid took off into the sky. He has no idea how long he was gone, but he only remembers waking in his bed among his panicked parents and grandmother. Now, he states that his grandmother witnessed the entire event and documented it. His living relatives concur with the account since his grandmother recalled what had happened to each of them. His grandmother passed away in 1985. Now, his parents woke after the abduction. It seemed that they were somehow placed in a hypnotic state until the winged being left the premises with him. And after several minutes, they all heard scratching noises and a loud thud on the roof. His father immediately gained access to the route where he saw, uh, saw Floyd laying unconscious. They were able to bring quickly bring him into the trail or dry him off and place him in his bed. They were reluctant to call the authorities or seek medical assistance because of the bizarre event. He recovered but has endured emotional problems his entire life, which he attributes to the abduction. Now, at the time of the Mothman Prophecies film release, he had a mental breakdown after watching in a theater. He literally had to leave during the scene where the Mothman caused the automobile crash and death. He has not attempted to watch the film since. Now, I asked him why he called me. He stated that he had received a call from his cousin, who was aware of the winged humanoid sightings in Indiana, and uh, he gave me my contact information. Now, um, the sketch is Floyd's sketch, and uh, I think, um, that Vince has put it up there. So, he seems very forthright and quite nervous. He seemed relieved that there had been other eyewitnesses to similar winged beings. And, you know, honestly, he, um, he was a good witness. Uh, He did seem like something really happened to him, and, uh... i i will say you know through this all these ordeals and and saga with the the winged humanoids chicago mothman or Heron mothman you the witnesses are are been very forthcoming and do not embellish on these sightings you know they make their report to us and um they stick with it so that's going to be the last report for the night so if you have questions Feel free to ask me. You want to put them up, Vincent? I can see them. Uh, Carol asked, Where do they come from? <laughs> I wish I knew, but um, we have indic- some indications that they're interdimensional beings, ultra-terrestrial beings that exist on a a dimension that's very linear and close to our Earth, our earth dimension our uh, earth plane uh, you know i i've had this theory about most cryptids anyway for a long time that i think they're interdimensional beings that they do have abilities to move in and out for, for and we but we really haven't found the mechanism for that or the reason for that um and it's all based on theory at this point but uh, I think it's very I think it's very close to what's really going on anything new from David Eckhart no I haven't heard I haven't really had any new information from David I haven't talked to him but uh, it's basically about the same thing they show up occasionally <clears throat> now the the the, uh, the beings that do show up they do change up once in a while. You know, he's had several groups of different beings that have been a part of this whole scenario with him. Uh, but as far as new uh, photos or new information or evidence, I, I just have not received that much from him. Uh, and if I do, I, I will put it up. I, um, I I guess I should try to get him on the show again in near future. So I'll talk to him about it and see if he uh, he wants to come on. Um, Crowley has heard a co- correlation with the Mothman and Jersey Devil due to the flaps. Thoughts? You know, I guess it could be. I um, I've had people give that correlation before. Uh, you know, the Jersey Devil thing, I I don't discount people. I don't believe the lore behind it, you know, the Leeds story. I don't believe that. Quite frankly, the uh, the Jersey Devil didn't initially start. Those sightings didn't initially start in New Jersey on the, the Pine Barrens. They actually started down in the Eastern Shore of Maryland. And they started gravitating north. Uh, and then the, 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 the Leeds legend came into fact, into point, not, not fact. So um, I don't know what to make of that. Um, it, you know, the descriptions of the, the Jersey Devil were very distinct uh, with the horse-like face and the strange shape to it, the long tail. In some cases, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, it has the, the uh, bat-like wing. The uh, the very heavy flapping that you hear, you know, with the uh, with these cases in Chicago and and around Chicago, we don't hear the flapping a whole lot. Um, These beings seem to have some type of uh, some type of mechanism to where they can literally fly without the use of their wings. They have uh, propulsion, some propulsion that we just don't understand. Not all of them, some of them do flap their wings and t- have seen flap their wings and take off. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's much correlation or not. Now, when you say flaps, I guess maybe you thought about the settings. I don't know if I, I again I don't know if I don't know if there's a correlation. Uh do you want to go down to Eckert's again and put yourself in the middle of that? I've never been to David's. I have never been there. And the reason why I never went down there, you know, my, my wife, when she was alive, she, she did not want me going down there. Uh, She was very familiar with the case and she kept on top of it and she had a bad feeling about it from the very beginning. And uh, she did not want me going down. Now she passed in 2015. So I, but I haven't been down there. since. David has asked me to come down on numerous occasions. So um, I don't know, you know, I I know of instances where other people have gone there and some of the stories I have heard from them, because there have been other investigators that have gone there and who have contacted me directly to tell me some of the things that they experienced and then a lot of them were not good. Uh, One investigator was physically attacked on many occasions and had some really horrific bruising so um it's not been good for a lot of the people uh i just don't think that they'd like david bringing people in there and uh you know now his now his daughter-in-law has has been involved with some of this as well and um they don't seem to mind her but the other the other family members don't really seem to want to be involved with it anymore. So, um, yeah. So that's about where it stands. I don't know if I'm ever going to make it down to Davis, to be honest with you. I, I, I may. Uh, I do have apprehension about it. I, I just got that little sixth sense thing telling me that it might not turn out well. Though, they do know I've been involved with David's investigation. They have, I have encountered them. In my residence, uh, I believe they were the same beings that abducted me or the the were associated with those beings that abducted me. Uh, And I was warned when I got involved with David's case that this may very well happen as well. So um, uh, Andrew asked, Are government investigators been around sighting areas? Yeah, they occasionally show up. I mean, I've had have any inquiry inquiries from government folks before um but of course you know you, you think about the story with my bigfoot encounter back in 81 there were definitely government investigators there um yeah i mean they're involved i mean there's no disputing that they definitely have they definitely have an interest in a lot of the phenomena that happens as far as the uh winged humanoids I don't know you know early on we had some black helicopter sightings and actual troops that may have actually gone into a location in central illinois um you know it was kind of a bizarre case because there was gunfire involved and then they came out and the the witness stated that they don't they he didn't really see them carrying anything out but it was dark but he said it was definitely he uh, was definitely some type of um, military uh, with the vehicles and everything else. As far as government, and of course, you know, military is government. So um, as far as the winged humanoids and those, I don't really I haven't really seen much association with that. It's it's a lot of uh, incidental stuff that very well could be connected. but I, I really don't know. Uh, Crowley, what are your thoughts on these being ultraterrestrials or interdimensional? I think that I think they are. Um, I think they are. I, I, they don't like to be, you know, through our bit of communication we have had. They don't. They don't like to be known as aliens or extraterrestrials. Um, they do acknowledge that they're interdimensional to a degree, but they, the the terrestrial Moniker is probably as close as what they will accept as far as calling them. Um, We have had people on the team who have had some connection with them. But at this point, you know, I don't really know what to to think about any of that. I I know I haven't had any connection with them. I'm not saying that the people on the team who did state they had connection may have been imagining it. I don't think so. I think something there was a connection, but. All I know is I have not experienced that. Anything else? Okay. Well, folks, thanks for coming on tonight um, and 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 listen to me and listen to the stories. And you know, if you if you do like the. Um, if you do like me reading some of the older cases and such, I'll try to incorporate that in into some of the future shows. Uh, so uh, let me know. And if you have an unexplained encounter, sighting, or feel free to contact me at FAMS Monsters blog site. Um, just thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. It's great having people come on here and, and ask your questions. I know a lot of other people appreciate it. And, you know, your support is what makes this all possible, so please like, subscribe, share. Your monetary, monetary donations are very appreciated as well. Uh, you can do it through YouTube or you can do it through the Buy Me a Coffee link, or um, uh, but it is appreciated. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, if you want to send anything to my email, it's lonstricklerofamsandmonsters.com. Now, this Friday at 9 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, we're going to uh, present a Paranormal Experiencer Alice Jackson and Investigator John Bullard. The uh, documentary film The House in Between and the subsequent follow-up release detail Alice's personal ordeal in which her Mississippi dream home turned into a nightmare after a life-changing supernatural incident. Should be a great show, so I uh, hope to see you in the chat. And uh, if you do get a chance to watch the film, I, I recommend it. it. It's it's interesting. It's a little different than most that you see. Uh, it leaves a lot of questions, but um, you know, look at it. You have questions for the guest on the show, then come on Friday night. And uh, I know you can watch it on Tubi and Pluto for free. So if you have those access, you know, those channel access, check them out. Both of uh, part one and one part two are available. It's the house in between. So until then, stay healthy, have a safe, enjoyable week. Good night.